0: Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. The If You Market podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joto PR. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, joined by co-host Carla Jo Helms. Hi, guys. And uh, today we'll be talking with Gleb Sapersky of Disaster Avoidance Experts about why you should never go with your gut. Gleb is known as the disaster avoidance expert. It's Dr. Gleb Sipersky. He's on a mission to protect B2B marketers from dangerous judgment errors known as cognitive biases. He does this by developing the most effective decision-making strategies through his consulting, coaching, and training firm, Disaster Avoidance Experts. He's a cognitive neuroscientist and behavior economist, Uh, Dr. I'm going to mess this up so many times Dr. Sapersky writes for Inc. Time and CNBC Dr. Sapersky or can I call you Gleb? Please do Excellent, because I I, yeah, you know why Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) We Americans, we botch we botch things up I'll I'll
0: just call you Dr. There you go, just call (laughs) me Mr. T Dr. Gleb, Mr. T Um, Mr.
1: T, Dr. T (laughs) T S
0: <laughs> I P Sipersky. Um, so that, that's a, that's a tongue twister for my eyes and, uh, and mouth. So you have no a book. I, I think I was introduced to you through a email. I received something I saw on LinkedIn, something like that about your book. And I just had to comment on never go with your gut. I think is the name of the book. Never go with your gut. How pioneering leaders make the best decisions and avoid business disasters. I should just pick the book up and read it off the cover here. Um, but uh, I remember seeing that, and my immediate reaction was, okay, I know data-driven decision is a hot thing, but um, never go with your gut is kind of like saying, throw out your experience. And I had a little bit of a, a beef with that, and I think I, was, I, I might have reached directly out to you, and we had a little back and forth. Um, mm-hmm. Long story, uh, still long, you converted me. So let's get into that. Um, let's get into the never go with your gut, um, your, your kind of philosophy on that in a minute. But first, let's get into you, Dr. Gleb Sipersky disaster avoidance expert. How did you become? Did you always know as a child you wanted to be a disaster avoidance expert?
2: <laughs> well, thank you for having me on the show. But as a child, of course, I didn't know what I wanted to be a disaster avoidance expert. But I did see disasters that I thought could have been avoided, specifically with my parents. So, actually my story does with begin your with your
0: that sounds like yeah a shot. my parents yes
2: <laughs> they, they fought as i mean as a kid i saw them fight over really stupid things with each other really dumb things and make really bad decisions they were both it molded both your are, whole
1: life right it,
2: it, it shaped me yeah i mean they were really gut oriented people they were very emotional and very spontaneous and very much you know kind of if they felt it it was right which is the essence of what gut reaction is if you feel mm. it it's right and that's what they both felt and of course They felt different things were right. Their gut told them different things were right. So they fought with each other a lot. The worst time Mm. that really kind of I recall badly was when, uh, so my dad was a real estate agent and so he worked on commissions. And there was this one time when he made some quite a bit of money, which he hid from my mom and he bought an apartment elsewhere through his, you know, ability to be a real estate agent, buy stuff. Which he leased out for a couple of years. My mom found out about it eventually, a couple of years later, and she was so she yeah. It was really bad. A guy having a secret apartment is never good. A guy having a secret apartment
0: is bad. Actually. Yeah, yeah. It looks. It probably looks worse <laughs> at first than it was.
2: <laughs> I mean, hiding money within a marriage. Hiding is,
1: money is bad, right? It's yeah. bad,
2: and so much money that you can buy an apartment and you know lease it out. That's a lot of money. So yeah. that I mean, the blood fight, they separated for a while, actually, eventually, they got back together, you know, after a few months, but you could never really trust them again. That did shape me as a child. As a, you know, as a kid, I was like, wow, <laughs> this, that was really bad decision making by my dad. And that yeah. really harmed me because, you know, he lived away from us for a while. So that was bad. So
0: I'm picturing like a six-year-old Doctor Gleb sitting there
2: raising his hand, saying, <laughs> "It was uh, more like uh, mother, father." Fourteen. Uh, <laughs> you're you're making
0: some cognitive errors here, <laughs> and being too. <laughs> so you decided about at this. that point
1: you're never going to be reactive. You are wholly going to rely off of what time.
2: Not at that point. What uh, no? I decided at that point was that hey, you know, I need to understand why do people make bad decisions that's kind yeah. of what that that's what led me i didn't know what was the right way to make decisions i didn't know kind of reactive or not reactive i just knew that there had to be something better than, than, than this <laughs> right and that yeah. just seems
0: like that was just a general bad decision this isn't that wasn't really like a well if your dad had looked at the data he would have realized that uh, he shouldn't hide this it seems like that was more of a people make bad decisions adults even Hmm. yep How can exactly you not so it do was that? more like
2: adults make bad decisions why do they do that? Right. You know, how do they prevent it? How can we deal with this? And a few years later, so I, I said I was like something like 14, I think 14 at the time. Then, yeah, you said 14. Uh, yeah, then in 1981, I was born in 81 And then when I was 18, that was 1999, when tech leaders were partying like it's 1999, for those who remember that Prince song, when companies like Webvan, Pets.com, and so on, Boo.com were booming. Just a couple of years later, when I was 21, 2002, they all went bust. And mm-hmm. that was kind of, showed me that really people who are smart, who are lauded and all the you know, like I said, CNBC, for which I write, you know, Inc. Magazine and so on, they thought that these people were the bomb. They're really hot you know, and so on. And then that they were you know, the villains. They went from heroes to villains.
0: Right. They were and, the bomb. They blew up.
2: Yeah, okay. exactly.
0: <laughs> so, you happening. saw basically the people you looked up to as the authorities on stuff make bad decisions in your parents, and then you go and, and you're getting older, you're getting into the workforce, and you're seeing companies, and you're like, Hey, these are the people to look up to, these are the smart people making good, and then suddenly, you're like, oh no, they made bad decisions, and they blew
1: up.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, like they weren't everybody's on the front making page bad of wall street for a journal for the Wall Street Journal for good reasons and then for bad reasons, <laughs> you know. So and then of course you have the people on Enron, WorldCom, and Tyco who hid their losses in the dot-com bust mm-hmm. using fraudulent accounting methods. During the prep walk, a couple of years later, when they're you know when they when it was revealed how they had hid their losses, that was even worse. I mean, come on, the you know, fraudulent—they must have known. I mean, when we look back it's clear that these the revel- that these fraudulent accounting things, they would have been discovered a year or two. They couldn't have gone on, but they made the terrible decision to just hide it. And then, of course, that cost them a great deal yeah. and cost their companies a great deal. You know, companies went bankrupt. Their careers were lost. They went to jail. Why did they do it? What happened well, there? I can tell you
0: why. When you go on a business trip to Vegas and you lose $1,000 um, on, on the tables, you cover it up when you go home. You don't, <laughs> you don't go home and say, "Hey, I effed up." Um, <laughs> it covered well, it up may, they you might be able it covered it up because they were You away. might be able to cover yeah. up
2: a thousand dollars, but you really can't cover up a billion dollars, or you yeah. can't cover it up. You know, kind of for long. And At my the, scale, that's a billion dollars. Well, there you go. But still, you know. Yeah, you cover uh,
0: stuff up because you hope it goes away. You you hope you can you know just pretend it's not there. It goes away. Things get better. Yep. I'm, I'm sure that happens constantly all the time when you have an economic meltdown, then it's forced into the light because yep. then people start looking and saying, oh, we're failing. Why? Where's that money? Oh, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yep.
2: So there, I mean, and that that's the kind of this gut-based decision making that really harms people a lot, both investing into an obvious bubble, what was in retrospect an obvious bubble, and then using fraudulent accounting methods to hide it. When Why did people do that? That was really fascinating for me and very upsetting because my values are utilitarian from when I was a kid. That was a kid thing. You know, I always cared about people. I always cared about people suffering or I wanted people to suffer less, have more well-being. And I saw that this was one of the biggest areas of suffering, people making bad decisions. Bad decisions, it's
0: self-imposed suffering.
2: It isn't like you
0: got hit by a tornado or something like that. It's people hurting
1: themselves. It's also the inability to predict. Right? Yes, it helps. Like, they can't estimate what's well, going
2: on. I think uh, Bernie Ebers, if he thought about it, he could have predicted that, you know, in a year or two, he might well be doing the perp walk using, for, if he had a fraudulent Okay, accounting Blind
1: spots spot enter into it. Yeah. Well,
2: that's the blind spot does come from the gut. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. What causes us to make these bad decisions. And gut reactions cause bad decisions. And that's the cognitive biases that is the essence of the book. Never go with their gut. How pioneering leaders make the best decisions to avoid business disasters, right here. That's the cognitive biases is what I'm talking about. So Why do we point, make bad decisions?
0: The market melts down, right? And you're seeing these bad decisions come come to the forefront. Where are you in your career at this point?
2: I'm just in my early twenties, deciding where to go. So mm-hmm. I was looking at originally kind of becoming a medical doctor, and I decided that wasn't the path for me. I wanted to study this stuff. Why do people make these bad decisions? That you know, Medical doctor was not the, the way to do that. My parents wanted me to be a medical doctor, and I decided that that wasn't the career I wanted to pursue. So I decided to study this stuff instead and went into the history of behavioral science, which Here's is Here's a tip having- for
0: anyone. If your parents want you to be a doctor or a lawyer and you're going to go another path, first tell them you're going to be a stand-up comic. <laughs> tell them, I'm okay. sorry, I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm going to do stand-up, and then tell- actually, I'm going to go down this research path or something. And then they'll be like, whoo, okay, okay, that's cool. Okay, okay. <laughs> we're going to be mad at you for not being a doctor. But now that you've pulled the stand-up comic off
2: the table, we, we're we okay with whatever you choose. I mean, clearly, when you tell a joke that that's bad, <laughs> you shouldn't be a stand-up comic.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, um, that's proof in the conversation.
2: There you go. So, uh, yeah, so then at that point, I decided to study this topic, and I started doing training, consulting, coaching on this pretty soon afterwards, and then I went into academia, so studying this more formally because I needed more education than was available outside of academia. So I went into researching this stuff. I became a cognitive neuroscientist and behavioral economist, and at the same time, as I was moonlighting doing training, consulting, coaching. So and coaching, and that's kind of my background.
0: So this early 2000s? Two thousand five. Yeah, I went into
2: then. I went into academia in two thousand and four, mm-hmm. and I started doing well, already training, consulting, coaching before then.
0: So when was the the whole data driven decisions thing? That's been for I think a couple years. That's been rolling around as kind of a hot
2: topic. Uh, oh, data driven decisions are, have been in, around for a very long time. If you look at uh, the actual driven. You know, you could see the the start of it in the late 19th century Mm -hmm. with, you know, how do workers make more efficient motions in order to put bricks into houses and so on. So that's... I mean, I guess
0: in that sense, it's been around a long... But it's like saying account-based marketing has been around forever. It's been coined more recently. I feel like it's been more in the zeitgeist of... You know, there's a lot of articles written about data-driven decisions. Mm -hmm. That's because
2: technology has caught up to to some theory that has been around. So you have machine learning and so on that we've been able to track things more recently. But the idea of data-driven decision-making, I mean, look at uh, what was happening in the late 1980s when American companies were taking the examples of Japanese quality. And you had all of that. That was very data-driven. But you only had the largest companies which could really implement that effectively because those had the resources to gather the data. Mm -hmm. More recently, many more smaller companies have the resources to gather the data. It became much cheaper to gather data. There's more data 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 points
0: out there and they can be crunched in ways they Mm -hmm. couldn't. I mean, companies, people running stuff have always gathered information and used it. Um, most successful people I would think but so you're saying it's it's really the access to the the volume of information to make these decisions and the tools to actually help help crunch all that all that data kind of big data
2: yeah and they have become much cheaper available on a much wider scale because they're much cheaper Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. so you had the guy I feel like maybe around early 2000s was when a lot of people are starting to attach the word guru to their title, um, which to me tells, says like, my gut is fine tuned and I go with it. it uh, is kind of what guru means. It means yeah. I'm not taking in any new information. That's a
1: great definition. I didn't know that.
0: <laughs> I just made it up. I don't think it's the actual definition, but it seems like it's close enough, you know, it, I've gathered all the information I need. My mm-hmm. mind is set in concrete and now I will um, espouse my genius and, and you should do exactly
2: what I do because I'm awesome. And therefore, you, know, yeah. you should listen to me. I will tell Based you the, on ways my personal of the world. experience of the uh, you
0: know. So I guess it seems like it's more relevant now than ever. In the past, you could go with your gut to an extent because, and I know this, this is where you and I disagreed and then you, you brought me around to your side. Um, it's, you're going with your gut, but you're basically, that means you're going off an old data set. You've calibrated your, your radar and now you're gonna use that. You're not constantly recalibrating with, with new data. In the past and maybe in certain fields, if things aren't changing very quickly, yes, you can calibrate a certain period of time. And there are some fields where maybe you calibrate once in a lifetime. And once you're calibrated, you're an expert in that area. And now you actually don't need information that can, that can throw you off from your, you know, your laser focus on knowing how to do something in today's world where you see all that now the data driven decisions and that that's so hot typically it's in fields where things are changing so fast mm-hmm. that if you if you calibrate your gut and then try to use that you're going off of old data that's not even relevant anymore
2: yeah there are two dimensions that are going on here one is that even in the past people tended to be way too confident and optimistic about their ability to make good decisions i'll give you an example that comes not from any new disrupted sector from medicine, actually. So, you know, medicine has been you know, pretty traditional. You have the human body. We know somewhat more about it, but it's not kind of changing. There was a really interesting study done on doctors who were given symptoms for a variety of cases and asked to make a diagnosis. So 118 physicians were given cases whose outcome was known. We, knew, we know what the actual outcome of these cases were and were asked to make the correct diagnosis. For simple cases, they made the correct diagnosis something like 56% of the time. For complex cases, they made the correct diagnosis 6% of the time. So 56% versus 6%. Now, then we looked at their confidence. They were also asked how confident they were that they made the correct diagnosis. For simple cases, their confidence was 7.2 out of 10. So 72%. For complex cases, their confidence was 6.4% out of 10, 64%. Their actual accuracy rate was an order of magnitude difference. Literally, (laughs) they were 90% less accurate in complex cases, but they were just about as confident as in complex cases. So it seems like
0: you want a doctor that has low (laughs)
2: self-esteem. I want a doctor who's humble, (laughs) who's humble humble enough to recognize. Who is humble he's enough to recognize the difference between simple humble. cases and complex cases and is able to get a second opinion for, <laughs> for complex cases? Most doctors are not. Most business leaders are not. Most marketers are not. Because of one of these cognitive biases from which we suffer, from which our gut reactions suffer, called co- overconfidence bias. We tend to be way too confident, all of us. It is just a, a trait of our gut reactions. And this is because of where our gut reactions come from. They come from not, they're not adapted for the current business environment. They're adapted for the savanna environment when we were hunters and foragers living in small tribes of 15 to 150 people. It was not something, we couldn't really gather that much data in that time and we had to move very fast. The computers the were really response. slow, right? Yeah, the yeah. fight or flight response was incredibly important at that time. It was better for us to jump at a hundred shadows than to miss one saber-toothed tiger, which is why you might have heard of it as the saber-toothed tiger response. It was good to make quick decisions and to be overconfident about our decisions in that time. It's bad to do that in the current business environment, but people who go with their gut, who go with their intuition, go and make these bad decisions very often when they decide too fast.
0: (laughs) So we had a guest on a little while back uh, on the show from Unanimous AI, and this reminds me yeah, a little bit of what they do. Yeah, I was
1: thinking do. of him.
0: Yep, they do. Uh, they were talking a lot about doctors, and and probably cognitive bias was brought up, and how they find the they were able to merge into a swarm the opinions. So if they take that six point three, I think you said something like that, um, and they get ten doctors, and they would merge mm-hmm. all their opinions together on that, and just get a much 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 better um, result. Yeah, as yeah far as... that's what I said.
2: Second opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Second opinion. That's really important. And that's because of a technique to address overconfidence. So there is, you know, right now we have these cognitive biases. There are over 100 of them. You can look them up on Wikipedia. Very interesting. That It doesn't talk about them in business settings. My book talks about the 30 most dangerous ones in business settings. Also, my book talks about how to address them. And one of the ways to address them is to get an external perspective. In doctors speak, that's a second opinion. So you want to get second opinion as many as possible for more complex cases when you're actually likely to get it 5% right and be too confident. So yes, you want to get other people, other opinions, get their perspectives. That's very helpful for addressing the overconfidence bias. We intuitively don't recognize the difference between simple decisions and complex decisions, just like these physicians don't. And we don't calibrate for the complexity of a decision, not nearly enough. We go, in fact, what I most often hear leaders saying, B2B marketing leaders, all other sorts of leaders, is that for more complex cases, they actually tend to go with their gut more. It's counterintuitive, but it's the case. People say that. They say that, well, if it's really tough, if it's really complex, I'm going to be more likely to trust my gut than if I'm not, you know, for, for huge things like mergers and acquisitions, I mean, no wonder that about 80% of mergers and acquisitions fail. Literally, that's, that, that's the literal rate of failure. About 80% of them fail to create value. They destroy now, value. Why do you because- think that
0: is? It, it seems natural to me that once it gets really complex, basically, if the models and the data you have, if you don't have confidence that, that those aren't going to steer you wrong... Then we kind of have this built-in AI that's our gut that takes all the information, gives us a result. And we don't know, just like AI, how and why it came to that result. We just know we trust
2: ourselves. Um, yes. So for I, more I guess... complex cases, for more complex cases, unfortunately, people tend to trust themselves. And that's bad. They should get much more outside perspectives, much more other opinions, be much more humble than they are. But what happens for leaders is that they tend to consult others, so marketing leaders, other sorts of leaders, they tend to consult others for more small things, but they make the really big decisions by themselves. That's the opposite of what you should be doing. You should be consulting many more people for big decisions. You should be going outside of your department. You should be going, you know, call a friend, get a lifeline, <laughs> do someone yeah. who, who doesn't know the topic, has a fresh set of eyes. That's much better. And so that's where we one should go for biggest- lunch mm-hmm. you're saying
0: where we should go for lunch. That's, you can ask other people, but when you, when you're making a, a big business decision, it seems almost like it goes back to the ego on that mm-hmm. of, Oh, if I ask people, you know, where's a good place to go for lunch? No problem. But if I ask them what I should do, you know, with this, with this quarter's marketing campaigns or, or whatever it is, then it seems
2: like I'm weak and dumb and I'm not in control. That's yeah, what exactly. I was you say, know,
1: which which they, of these
2: two blue, which of these two blue colors for for B two B marketing? You can ask people which of these two blue colors should I use on this pamphlet. But when you say you know which of these target markets should we target, then people tend to make this decision by themselves. Yes, right. KJ, you're going to say.
1: Well, you know that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, is that in your book? You know, <laughs> when it when it comes to these these major decisions, right? The the leaders tend to steer away, the marketing people tend to steer away from getting those second, third, fourth opinions, right? Is it because they don't know enough and they feel less than, you know, whatever? Does that bias get in the way Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. because they really don't have the Mm answers.
2: They feel that this is a big decision and they trust themselves. They trust their gut. They trust their feelings when they shouldn't because they have not been taught to not trust their feelings they have been taught the opposite they've been taught to trust their gut they've been taught to go with what they're comfortable and when people are facing a major stress major emotional decision they go back to what they're most comfortable with that's yeah, the tendency that's true it and that is seems... a bad tendency that is a very harmful mm-hmm. and dangerous tendency in the modern world because of these cognitive biases that when we are alone when we make the decision alone we're most vulnerable to them And there are many other techniques that we can employ that we can talk about, but getting an outside perspective, outside opinion is a very important one. And being more humble about yourself and your capacity to make these decisions is a very important
0: one. So it's not just having a bunch of data; it's other people's gut also. Basically, it's like getting it's a other group people's gut perspective, is than not just not
2: one. simply their gut. It's their information, it's their ideas, it's their perspective. So other right. people's perspectives, because that takes you outside of yourself, that takes you outside of your gut. The way that our gut works is if we feel something, therefore it's right. Now, yeah. when somebody else says, "Hey," Let me ask you a question about this. Let's talk this through. Then what turns out, that's not your gut, that's your head. When That's when you start considering things because that's when you let your head have a say, have a voice as part of the analysis. So what That's you're doing, how I lost
0: that money in Vegas. I went with my gut. I felt like it was a good idea to put it all in red. It <laughs> turns out, bad
2: idea. Um, <laughs>
0: Okay, yeah, so I think the worst idea AI is not telling your
2: you. you know not telling your wife that you lost the money. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, do your parents know that you constantly use them as an example? <laughs> Fortunately,
2: they speak Russian better than uh, they speak English..
0: <laughs> <that's great. laughs> so I guess the, the the area that you and I differed and where you kind of brought the light to me when we were talking um, about this when I first approached you um, about the write-up I'd seen on it is that my impression of gut was that's just all of your experiences mm-hmm. come to make your gut decision. And what you pointed out is really it's a, a difference in the definition of gut for us. You're talking mm-hmm. about your, you know, your ancient lizard brain gut. Yes. Uh, I was talking exactly. about basically your, the information that you have gathered in order to calibrate yourself to better make decisions, that isn't quite your gut. Now, maybe it's not quite as good that's not your gut
2: at all. So the gut is a fuzzy concept, and unfortunately, people use it in a variety of ways, including in the wrong way. If you look at the actual definition of gut reactions, it specifically relates to these inborn instincts. The instinct to be from the tribal background, to have the fight or flight response, decide quickly, decide now, and either aggressive or defensive. That's yeah. one aspect of things. See, that's
0: the cognitive neuroscientist coming in for you. I, you, you have a sp- very specific definition for
2: gut. The rest of us in the world are like, there's no doctor in front of our name. Gut just means <laughs> gut. <laughs> it's okay, people. That's what I'm saying. It's a fuzzy concept, and people use it problematically. You know, yeah. just like, I mean, if somebody will use B2B marketing concepts problematically, that would be bad for you, from right. your perspective, right? So well, the other one aspect definition
1: is, is an instantaneous reaction made without thought. And, and that's not, that's, that's not, that's about. not
2: the, you know, let, let, me give you an example. When you look over your shoulder, when you drive, is that a gut reaction? It's know. not a gut reaction. It's not, it's no, something afraid, that you had yeah. to develop when you, you know, when I was driving, yeah, when I was exactly. learning how to drive the first time, oh, and I failed the driving test because I didn't look over my shoulder in the right way <laughs> because right. it's not right. something intuitive. It's not inborn. It's something that you have to develop and you have to train. It's a mental habit. I see. So that's a mental habit. That's a healthy mental habit that you develop. In the same way that Sky was talking about healthy mental habits that you develop over the course of your career. So that's where you differ. You don't want to trust your gut intuition, the tribal, na- natural, intuitive instincts. You want to look at where have you made a series of good decisions in the past significant good decisions like looking over your shoulder when you're driving or when you know that during a presentation let's say a certain way of speaking is going to be much more convincing than another way of speaking when you're presenting to your client right or a certain style of copywriting is going to be more effective than another style of copywriting
1: definitely by experience yes yeah, right
0: i want to uh, i want to jump over to a, to a break here real quick uh, one thing I wanted to throw out, I know I've mentioned this in, in previous podcasts, but I'll leave everybody with this right before the break. One of my favorite quotes, if we have data, let's look at data. If all we have are opinions, let's go with mine. That was uh, Jim Barksdale of Netscape back before the dot-com crash, I would, I, would, uh, I would guess is when that came around. We will get more into some specific do's and don'ts and, and whatnot with you after the break. Dr. Supersky with us from disaster avoidance experts. We're talking about his book, Why You Should Never Go With Your Gut. We will be right back on the Yippee Market podcast. You know how some products are too complex or too boring to understand and you'll never purchase them? Well, we fix that problem and we make your business look amazing and valuable. We do this by finding your great aha moments and your value and help you create stories and videos and help your revenue grow. You can learn more at ripmediagroup.com. Welcome back to the If You Market Podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. I've got co-host Carla Jo Helms here with me. Hey, guys. And today we're talking with Gleb supersky the CEO of Disaster Avoidance Experts. We've been talking about uh, why you should never go with your gut, his new book, and about gut-based decisions versus information-based decisions. Uh, second half here, really want to get into some, some specific stuff, drill down a little bit. Had a lot of fun in the first half. I think we've laid out me a good- deal. Yeah, that good good foundation of what this, uh, what this gut-based decision versus information decision is. Um, so Gleb, how should people, or how can people recognize when they're making a gut-based decision versus an information-based decision? Because
2: it is kind of a fuzzy area. It's not like there's a light that goes on and off. Good question. Sure. The first thing to recognize is to learn about these dangerous judgment errors which cause us to make bad decisions. So you can learn about these this stuff. This is not kind of rocket science. You actually, and it's not hard to learn. Like I mentioned, there are 100 cognitive biases. You can go on Wikipedia, read them. 30 most Is dangerous. there like
1: a number one that people mostly fall into? Like,
2: well, I, know, there's I a talked lip. about overconfidence, so that's kind of one. Yeah. But Gleb, Gleb, you say it's not
0: rocket scientist science. It's not. It's just neuroscience. That's all. That's right. It's just <laughs> it's neuroscience. And <laughs> it's not that
2: hard okay, neuroscience. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you have to read a boring, dense article. Believe me, no. Sky wouldn't have read my book if it was boring and dense. <laughs> So what you need to do is understand what are the cognitive biases so that you notice when when your mind is going that way. For example, when we tend to flinch away from information that is uncomfortable for us, that's something we can recognize. That's called the confirmation bias. When we ignore information that we don't like and when we look for information that we like. So for example, if you want to decide uh, to marry somebody, or not to marry somebody, you would say, what are the best reasons for marriage on Google, right? Now, when you're looking for that search term, <laughs> you as B2B marketers understand the kind of results you get versus, you know, pros and cons of marriage or why you should never marry. Those would get you all very different answers. <laughs> so when you're lo- when you, you need to notice in this case, when you're looking for the answer that you want to hear.
0: Right, so if you type in, you're not interested in getting married, are you? Versus, uh, hey, You're going to get married aren't you it's it's very different
2: uh mindsets going into it exactly and that mindset determines a great deal that's why that's the confirmation bias and of course you're also going to tend to ignore people who come to you and say no maybe that's not such a bad good decision maybe that market that you're trying to target maybe you should target a slightly different market if you find yourself shutting these people off and ignoring them that's another good sign that you're falling into the confirmation bias So we talked about overconfidence, confirmation bias. Another one, planning fallacy. This is is really good. You've probably heard people telling you Planning,
1: is that what you
2: said? Planning fallacy. Okay. So you've probably heard the phrase that failing to plan is planning to fail, right? Kind of famous Mm -hmm. phrase, failing to plan is planning to fail. Unfortunately, that phrase is often misleading because we tend to plan as though our plans, best laid plans will go true will come out true. We like to think of ourselves as awesome, and we like to think of our marketing plans as great, and we don't tend to think about contingencies. So if you start to plan and you start to notice that, hey, you're investing your resources as though your plan will be perfect, as though there won't be any problems, that's another time to check yourself and say, the actual, don't think that failing to plan is planning to fail. What you need to think about, the phrase that you should actually use is, Failing to plan for problems is Mm. planning to fail. So again, Uh, failing to plan for problems is planning to fail. That's a much better mindset. So you want to notice, hey, I'm not planning for problems. Let me start planning for problems. What kind of problems might come up with this marketing launch plan? And what can I do about these problems in advance? Both solve them in advance, whatever you can, and make plans for what happens if the launch doesn't go nearly as well as you hope. So those are kind of just three examples of ways that you can start to notice that your gut is steering you in the wrong direction. And of course, these are all specific things that you want to learn about these specific cognitive biases.
0: Those kind of quotes drive me crazy. When you say failing to plan is planning to fail, they get oversimplified down so much and then misused. It seems like you just you have to add to really make them accurate, you have to keep adding on to them, which doesn't make them so catchy. Uh, One of my least favorite ones is the definition of insanity. Um, I look at it and it says uh, the state of being seriously mental ill madness. It doesn't say anything about doing the same thing. Uh, I always look at it and say, how can you have the same definition for persistence and insanity? And the the beef I have in there is just really one word off. They say, um, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I would say it's not the same thing. It's making the same mistake.
1: Well, that's implied, but you're right. You know, I think people get catchy
0: when you're going to put out a definition. I think when we're talking to a a cognitive neuroscientist, um, you kind of want your definitions to be accurate, you know? So when you're putting out the definition of insanity and first you use not the definition and then you use a version that leaves words (laughs) out and is vague, it's why I hate pronouns. It's, uh, things are just not clear. Those kind, of, those kind of quotes drive me nuts. They're bumper yep. stickers that just get people uh, off in the wrong direction. And then they use those to make decisions. They actually yep. calibrate their gut with those kind of quotes. <laughs> exactly. Like, and the full oh,
2: quote of go with your gut is the exact same sort of quote yeah. that leads people in the wrong direction. So these are things that we need to, that you need to learn about. You need to learn about the specific errors that our mind tends to make. That's the way that you need to learn about them and then address. So, for example, for me, I tend to be way too optimistic. So I fall into what's called the optimism bias. And that's a tendency to be risk blind, tendency to see things as better than they actually are, tendency to not see threats you know that I tend to think that the grass is green on the other side of the hill when you it's this actually this podcast often yellow. was going to go it's great.
1: always going to work out yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> this is going to so be an awesome podcast
0: nice. and then you should have downgraded it yeah there you go
2: <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of thing that you that I need to watch out for I've learned that this is something I'm very vulnerable to and I've learned specific techniques to address this which we could talk about but that's another one of these cognitive biases that we need you need to learn about and know in order to catch yourself, see if that's something you might be falling into. Now, there are techniques to address them more broadly to, uh, when you're making your decisions, but for the specific question of how you can catch yourself, the way you do that is by learning about them and seeing if you're falling into one of these patterns. Interesting. So can you basically
0: put like a judge inside your brain and whenever you're making, looking to make a decision, you just you just have, a, or I guess, a lawyer inside your brain that's constantly saying objection leading the witness like if you're (laughs) if you're putting the question out in the wrong way you're always leading yourself in a particular direction Mm -hmm. um and basically starting out with with a bias somewhere because that's a really good analogy but
2: you know the a better one that i like to use is when your mom told you to count to 10 before responding to someone aggressively when you're mad Mm -hmm. you know right count to 10. And then as part of that counting to 10, think about where you might be going in the wrong direction.
0: Right. So you have these mental tricks. You might, if you're optimistic, you might say, I'm going to downgrade my decisions Mm -hmm. by 10% or something like that. It's. Yep. Well, what I,
2: what I do in this case, what I do in this case is I imagine what my wife would say about it because she's very pessimistic. (laughs)
0: Right. So you're, you're basically then going to outside information.
1: It's pessimistic. And so you guys, You cancel each other out. Is that what's happening? And
0: then you're not just using your gut. You're using her information also. You're getting that outside advice, but from within by asking, what would this other person do?
2: Yeah. And the research on this topic shows that we get about 50% of the benefit just by asking that sort of question and we get the other 50%. So if it's a more serious decision, I actually go to her and talk about it. But if it's not as serious, I just ask this question and... It really helps calibrate wow. things.
0: The opposite of your dad, you really learn from that experience. Yes.
1: <laughs> good
0: man, good man. Interesting, so just asking what would someone else do, even if they're not there, you
2: can take someone else's opinion yes.
0: into, a, in, into account.
2: Yep, it's kind of the angel on your shoulder sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I, a lot of people say, you know, what would this, what would uh, Bill Gates do? You know, what would Seth Godin do? Think about those sorts of heroes who are role models and you get a lot of benefit from doing that sort of thing because you get outside of yourself, outside of your own head.
0: That's I remember training salespeople and telling them, look, if you're not sure what you should be doing or what you should do next, just ask yourself, you know, okay, if you don't think you're great at this job, ask yourself what someone who's great at the job would do right now and then do that. And eventually mm-hmm. that's what you become. You yep. become that thing by doing what it does all the time. You, you, know, you kind of are what you do.
1: Well, you definitely have to talk to people to
2: find out. And that's an example of training that mental habit that we were talking about. You know, same thing as looking over your shoulder getting an outside perspective. You are training yourself. You're developing the healthy mental habits that you need to steer your gut in the right direction. You're getting your gut better calibrated. You're getting your natural state into a more civilized state.
0: I think you're misusing the word gut here. I don't mean to... to, to to correct you, but <laughs> you're going with a, a layman's it. version of the definition mm-hmm. of gut uh, in, in that case versus the neuroscientist's version right. of the definition of gut. So
2: I'm talking about habits here. Right, so you're kind right. of, steer, what, what I'm saying is that you are steering your mental habits, your intuitions, into the right direction. You're right. changing your emotional tones. You're changing the natural emotions that you experience to, into healthier ones ones that are more civilized. You're going from the natural state to a more civilized state. And that's the essence of what you need to do in order to make better decisions and avoid decision disasters. That's so if what there's you need a to word,
0: be, if gut really means your your built-in instincts, not something yes. you necessarily learn, but these are, Correct. again, prehistoric instincts. In in the neuroscientist world, you've got to have a word for what we think of as gut, This this learned, calibrated, type of instincts. Yeah, so um, there is
2: the that's the intentional system or system one. For people who read Daniel Kahneman's books and so on, it's the system one com- encompasses everything. Is there it a encompasses cool word for basically it, your emotions. Hmm? Is there a
0: cool word for it? Because when we're talking yes, to people It's called like the like, autopilot uh, system. Okay. The uh, autopilot
2: uh, system. The auto-pilot yes. system. The auto-pilot. Yes. So it's when you're going on autopilot. So again, it's the same thing. It's intuitive to make very fast reactions and decisions. And that's one aspect of intuitions. You've learned that. And so that's the basic inborn stuff. You've learned how to drive and look over your shoulder. Right. Now it's automatic. Now you can drive an autopilot and you'll still look over your shoulder when you're changing lanes.
0: So the auto, the, your gut causes you to flinch, but for a boxer, their autopilot might cause them to duck instead of flinch. Exactly. Um, because the they changed they
2: out. changed their intuition in the right direction so, so it's that's a what you need to,
0: reaction but it's automatic still you don't have to right. stop and think
2: about it and most things that you want to do so I'll talk, uh, I'll, I'll talk about a technique that you can use to very quickly you use this sort of thing um, there was a Fire, and one I developed, I'll talk about it from the book. But this one is relevant for firefighters, actually, who are literally making decisions in the heat of the moment. There were uh, the, there was a study of firefighters in the UK, and they found that
1: no pun intended,
2: mm, pun actually intended. Sorry. <laughs> you said in the heat of the <laughs> I know, moment. I, joke, I
1: said no pun joke, intended. Joking, <laughs> joke.
2: So they looked <laughs> at firefighters in the UK, and they found that about eighty percent of mistakes in firefighting come from human error pure human error. And what they did was they trained firefighting leaders to ask themselves free questions before they made decisions about how to allocate resources in the moment of the firefighting response when they were in the building or about to get into the building. So, you know, where to direct water and all of this stuff. So they trained themselves, they trained them to ask free questions. These questions greatly reduced the rate of failure. So, and after those firefighters were trained and developed those mental habits, they actually didn't take any longer than people who didn't, uh, who weren't trained in these three questions to make their decisions, because they quickly and automatically asked these questions to themselves very quickly, and then they made much better decisions in the moment. So that's these decision-making techniques. And there's five, a five-question technique that I developed based on cognitive neuroscience, because you know b2b marketers and other leaders have a bit more time than firefighters fighting fire <laughs> to ask themselves questions and this once you develop these techniques once you learn them it doesn't take you any more time to make casual everyday decisions than it does firefighters
0: awesome so the five question technique um maybe we don't uh, want to go through all five questions uh, here i've got a handful of other questions i want to get to still and, and we're starting to run out of time but uh, can you uh, give those to me um, and we'll put them in the show notes, maybe? And I'm sure they're in, they're in your book as well.
2: Oh, sure. I mean, I can talk them through. It's just, it'll take a minute if you want me to do that.
0: Um, yeah, let's, let's fly through them then. I'm sure now sure. the listeners are like, come on, we want them. Give Quickly. them to us. Quickly. Yep. <laughs> I, I'm
1: dying to hear. First, what are they?
2: What important information did I not yet fully consider? Again, what important evidence that I not yet fully consider that helps you address the confirmation bias, because what you want to be looking for is information that causes you to feel uncomfortable, that causes your gut to go, Ugh. <laughs> that's the kind of things you want to look at. Go against your intuitions. Second, what dangerous judgment errors, cognitive biases might be a problem here? What are they? You, the, the, the 30 most dangerous ones are in my book. You can also look in Wikipedia over 100 of them. Did you say 30 Third-
0: most dangerous?
2: Yeah, the 30 most dangerous are on my (laughs) book. Yep. Next, what would a trusted and objective advisor suggest I do? So think about that external opinion. What would a trusted and objective advisor suggest you do in this case? So WWJCVDD, what would Van Damme do? Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Perfect. Or Arnold Schwarzenegger or someone. (laughs) Next, how have I prevented all the ways this can fail? All the failures, imagine it failed completely. What are the reasons that led to these failures? How can you prevent these reasons in advance or develop plans in case these failures come up? And finally, what new information would cause me to change my mind? What would cause me to revisit this decision? You wanna decide this in advance as much as possible because when you're in the heat of the moment implementing the decision, it's going to be really hard for you to decide what information is relevant to change things. So let's say if you
1: You know why I like that last one? I have to interrupt you. I'll tell you why I like that last. is because, <clears throat> you know, I'm in the business of communication. So you're always dealing with live beings. Anytime you're in mostly a decision, it usually concerns other people. And what you may have going on in your head is a one-sided strategy. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there are certain things or indicators or changes and characteristic or situations that would cause you to you're dealing with live mm-hmm. situations that would cause you to make a different decision than what goes off in your head. But sometimes people just go off with what's in their head and they miss the opportunities because they don't realize they're dealing with live mm-hmm. people or beings. you know, I see that a lot. Uh, so I like that. I'm in last love
0: with the one last one, lot. I think for a slightly different reason. Um, that is a variation of a question I like to ask people when we are, discussing something and we have different viewpoints Hmm. Uh, because I find and I suppose if you ask yourself that and you have two choices and you're thinking A and you ask yourself what new information would cause me to choose B and there is nothing or whatever Hmm. it is it's irrational then you don't really have two choices you've already locked in and now you've got a problem maybe you need to ask us for a second opinion Um, when I'm talking to somebody where you know we're debating different opinions on something if I find that the answer to that question is either nothing or irrational, then there's no conversation to be had. You're not going to come to a middle ground or you're not going to come. If, if neither person can be convinced of the other person's opinion on something, then there's just no, it's a pointless discussion.
2: Kind of. Yep. It's not a discussion. It's just chatting yeah, at each right. other at that point. <laughs> then
0: you've got the nightly news. Yeah. just uh, You've got um, MSNBC with a bunch of talking heads or something.
2: Yep, exactly. You don't need that. You know why would you discuss things? So yes, that that is that is what it gets you to. If it shows you that there is nothing, there is nothing that would change your mind, then you probably want to see if your gut is steering you in the wrong direction here. Get uh, go back to the third one. What would a trusted and objective advisor suggest you do? Ask that person,
0: perhaps. Or you're just so awesome. You obviously made the right choice. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Do you have
2: any examples
0: of? You've given some examples in your life. You've seen where things people made the wrong decision, where things went wrong, um, and caused you to kind of form your your thinking process on this. Do you have any specific examples where you applied some of this stuff
2: for things to go right? For things to go right, uh, sure, yes. Uh, so for planning fallacy, or let, let me give give an example uh, with the SWOT analysis. So SWOT analysis is really well known. People look at it, uh, use and analyze strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. It's unfortunately very problematic because people who are the vast majority of us are overconfident. We list too many strengths and weaknesses, uh, strengths and opportunities, not nearly enough weaknesses and threats. So, I was working with this technology startup founder, Saraj. who, let me use his name who uh, his venture capitalists wanted me to work with him after the startup passed 10 million in venture capital. And I came to him, he showed me his SWOT analysis. And what I saw was that he didn't have on the SWOT analysis, the weakness of being able to delegate effectively. And this is often a failure for Mm. startup founders. And this was something that venture capitalists who talked to me said that, Hey, this is something he needs to work on now. Right. When when I you can't that do that. Up, you
0: can't scale. That's why they're interested, like, uh, you're just not going to, your business isn't going to scale if you can't delegate.
2: Yep, exactly. And they're interested in, you know, getting their money's worth. Yep. So that's why they, you know, I talked to him and he was really defensive when I brought that up at first because he clearly wanted to control things. He was afraid for his baby, which is natural and intuitive for startup leaders. So we had a conversation where I showed him that, hey, the most successful startup founders they let go. They let go effectively they lead, and they learn the skill of delegating. Then this is an incredibly important skill to do. Everything from learning how to delegate marketing and sales to learning how to delegate you know, basic administrative stuff that he really like to do himself. Uh, I mean, he was actually in love with invoicing because he liked to get the money directly. But anyway, this is not something that he (laughs) should have spent time on. So eventually he was able to, after a number of conversations, he was able to slowly and carefully let go of things. The hardest thing for him to accept was that people would be doing things worse than he would be if, uh, Mm. if, if he was doing the thing. And it was just, he had to understand that his time was more valuable, even if people made mistakes. Then it was still better. So that was a, a, an example of a success where things went things eventually went right.
1: You know um, about that. It's like it's very courageous for leaders to let people mm-hmm. mess up, knowing that they are going yes. to right. Letting them let it is very courageous for yeah.
2: them. it's a hard thing to yeah. do, and it's a very important a, skill
0: if you want it's to. Scale. Very hard. I have a list of leadership rules I've come up with that I put on my wall, and one of them is. Um, to uh, empower people around you or basically delegate. And uh, what what I say is if someone else can do a task 80% as well as you can, you should delegate it off. Um, yep. if you have, have a person yeah. do that. They're not going to be as good as you. Or do what I do. I keep myself intentionally dumb. So I'm not the smartest guy in the room. Then it's really easy to delegate. So just don't learn anything.
2: <laughs> <I> don't <know. laughs> That's good. That's good. I, I think a lot of. Only-
0: a lot of founders, they're the smartest guy and that's why they're the founder and they start out, but they don't hire people that are more expert than them typically. And so they, yeah, they, they want to do everything because you want the best guy at that doing that and that's always them. Um, so it yep. becomes difficult.
2: It's a big problem. So that if you want to actually grow your business, you need to let go and you mm-hmm. need to let go over time, build up trust, but you need to let go. And you need to let other people mess it up. and You need to be okay with that.
0: So this guy was bad at delegating. But he was willing to take new information, not mm-hmm. go with his gut and tell and you to, to pound sand and uh, change the way he was doing stuff.
2: Yes. After he was shown that this, would not, that this was at odds with his goals. This is the essence of rationality. When you do something and you keep doing it, when it's at odds with your actual goals, because he wanted to grow the company and he wanted to keep uh... being the leader of the company while it grew. That's the kind desire of cool.
0: to win was greater than his desire to be the one that does it, kind of exactly. Yep, and that company was Amazon. No, just <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, you're a role okay. today. <laughs> anything, yeah, I gave up my stand up <laughs> career. Um, <laughs> uh, anything else that we need to know about this? We're running out of time. It seems like there's a ton of uh, a ton of places we could still go with this. Luckily, you wrote a book on it. I feel weird. On this show, when it seems Luckily. like we're, I'm Vanna Whiting. I'm like, Look, he has a book. <laughs> Come go to the aforementioned Amazon, you can find it. Um, but yes, Gleb wrote a book about this kind of stuff. A lot of great information in there. Obviously, more that we're going to go into on this show. But are there any last things you'd like to leave the listeners with? Um, any uh, enticing nuggets on uh, how to make better decisions? How to how to employ this this not going with your gut? You're talking about.
2: When something feels really comfortable to you, start to be suspicious, especially when it's something that you want and that you like, and that's aligns with your intuitions and soul's desire. That's Mm -hmm. the time to start being suspicious because your gut is likely leading you in the wrong direction. And that's a time to start employing counterintuitive uncomfortable strategies that take you outside of your comfort zone. Like asking the five, I mean, you should be asking the five questions about everything decision that you don't want to screw up, but this is especially a time to pay a great deal of attention to the five questions and not let yourself get away with easy answers. Take the time to seriously consider this and go against your intuitions, go outside of your comfort zone. This is how you grow. People are going to start thinking
0: I'm autistic now because every time I come to a decision point, I'll be like, one. Two,
2: three, <laughs> there you okay.
0: go. And then I'll ask. One, hey, two, three. No, four, that's five. a really
1: good point. Get out of your comfort zone if you want to expand. Can you just do me one favor? Because I, I am really interested in this and I know our listeners are going to go and they're going to want to find out, but I know they're doing the same thing I am right now. Tell me what the five things are again. Just roll through sure. them. Don't
2: What them. important information that are not yet fully consider? What dangerous judgment errors might be involved in this decision what would a trusted and objective advisor suggest i do how have i addressed all the ways this could fail what new information would cause me to revisit this decision
0: okay uh, it, we'll put those in the in the show notes uh in the show notes here as well
1: yeah we want all of our listeners to learn that verbatim
0: <laughs> all right glad this has been this has been fantastic um i'm i'm loving it i, I, I don't know loving I, it. i know uh, our, our initial interaction was me kind of uh, coming at you almost like, hey, I disagree with the title of your book and everything you're talking about, even though I haven't read it. Um, and uh, <laughs> the more I talk to you, the more I- Were you more
1: overconfident? I <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> no, it felt like I thought it was just a, um, it stuck out to me as one of those bumper sticker type things that people put out there to get attention. Um, you know, if you're not doing this diet, you're gonna die type of a uh, title on something. And then I love that once we started interacting, Dr. Uh, uh, Sapursky and I, he brought me around to he very quickly showed me like no you're he just <laughs> here's the right way here's what this actually means and it's it's true this is not a uh, you know clickbait title on the book this is a, this is a real thing. So thank you for coming on the show, Dr. Gleb Sapersky. The tea throws me off every time. Um, he's the CEO of Disaster Avoidance Experts. Again, we'll have all the information on the show notes. You've been listening to the If You Market podcast. And uh, on behalf of Carla Jo Helms and, uh, again, our Dr. Uh, Gleb Sapersky of Disaster Avoidance Experts, thank you for listening. Uh, well, we believe <laughs> if you market the shit out of it without your gut, they will come. <laughs>
2: This has been great. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. Doctors, first thank you for coming on. It's been
0: awesome. The If You Market podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data. And at Mountaintop Data, we're all about data for B2B marketing. Our goal is to improve the quality, depth, and coverage of our clients' targeted marketing data while removing the technical pain of accessing and implementing data. We help with everything from new target contacts to appending and cleaning existing data, all with the goal to free you and your team up to focus on creating great marketing experiences. Check us out online at mountaintopdata.com and sign up for our new top data search tool and get free access to search our database of over 30 million business contacts. Use the code hashtag IYM when signing up and get 200 free credits.